Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. It is actually the most unique resurrection account in all of Scripture. If Mark's gospel was a play, you would be sitting in the audience watching. You'd be gripped by the wonder of the story. The climax of the whole affair approaches. And at that climax, when you expect something powerful to happen, and it does happen, all of the actors seem to lose track of their lines. They get confused. They leave the stage. The curtain falls. And the audience is stunned. Imagine watching a play like that. You're left at a very high point of the story, and it's a complete and total letdown. Mark records that unique ending very intentionally under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you look in your margins of your Bibles, uh, you'll notice that there'll be a note that says verses 9 through the end of the chapter is not recorded in most early manuscripts. In other words, the Gospel of Mark ends in verse 8. It ends with a complete and utter thud. The women who see the empty tomb run away and say nothing to anyone. The first Easter, Christ is risen from the dead. The woman run off stage and the curtain falls. Some of us are experiencing that kind of thud in our lives right now. And we're wondering if the curtain's going to fall and the story's going to be over. But the good news is that God meets us in our fear and faithlessness and hopelessness and failure. And it's a game changer. We've heard that term thrown on a lot these days with respect to the coronavirus. First, it was going to be social distancing that was going to be the game changer, and it seems to be working. Then we heard about machines that was going to decontaminate um, masks and other personal equipment. Then there was the stimulus bill and the CARES Act that many people think will be a game changer for the economy. Where's the term game changer come from? Well, believe it or not, it's a relatively new term. It came about in the 1980s through the game of baseball. It's when the setting of the game was such that a certain team was losing or playing badly, and a player makes a play that completely turns around the tenor of the game so that his or her team 
actually gains and attains the victory. The term was added to the Oxford English Dictionary in 2012. And part of the definition is that the game changer is a new person, new idea, new event, or new process that transforms the established order. Something that is a game changer is radical and disruptive in a very positive way. Well, we've yet to learn whether anything being talked about with respect to the coronavirus is actually going to be a game changer. But the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead, the empty tomb, that is the real game changer. And as we visit the empty tomb, we can experience a turnaround in every area of our lives. Mark's ending is absolutely unexpected. And yet, it is written in such a way that the game-changing power of the resurrection is not minimized, but actually emphasized. So let's read together Mark 16 Verses 1 through 8, this is God's Word. And by the way, we have even more confidence that it's God's Word when you see in your margin some of the earliest manuscripts do not include Mark 16, 9 through 20. Because of dating, because of the numbers of manuscripts, because of where they're located, we know with great confidence that what we have here is the very Word of God. Hear God's Word. When the Sabbath was passed, now remember the Sabbath for the Jews was Saturday, 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday. So after 6 p.m. on Saturday night, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, so now it's early Sunday morning, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now listen to this. This is how it ends. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And down comes the curtain. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word.
dear flock of God, this is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to know that the resurrection of Christ is a game changer when we flee in fear and faithlessness and failure. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. Thank you for the one great game changer in the history of the world. But God, we need that game-changing truth to flood our lives in new ways today. So come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Three ways we experience the real game-changer as we visit the empty tomb. First of all, visit the empty tomb and experience game-changing hope. These women were going to anoint the body of Jesus. It was a great and honorable act because Jesus, in their minds, was in the tomb. His body was decaying. And with the temperature and humidity, even in the cave, there would be a stench. And they wanted to honor the body of Jesus And make it not smell, not stink. And that was an act of great devotion. But sadly, that act of great devotion was also an act of incredible hopelessness. While they had seen Jesus with them, they were filled with hope. This is the one. This is the one we've been looking for. This is the game changer. But when they witnessed the events of Good Friday and saw Jesus hung on the cross, they saw him breathe his last. They saw him taken down, dead, and buried in the tomb. They lost their hope. Now you need to remember that the Gospel of Mark repeatedly records Jesus telling his followers that he was going to be killed and on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Jesus says this in Mark 8.31, in Mark 9.31, in Mark 10.34. He'd already told them, not lose hope. And yet the confusion and the pain and the shock of the events of Good Friday blinded them to their hope. You see, so often we tend to put our hope in what is seen. And if what is seen disappears or is taken out of the way, our hope sags or is lost. What's your hope quotient this morning? Is the same as it was two months ago? Or is it different? You see, hope, biblically speaking, has nothing to do with what we see. As a matter of fact, hope, biblically speaking, can't even exist 
unless what we put our hope in is unseen. What do I mean by that? Well, in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes these words, verses 24 and 25. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? In other words, if you see the reality you're hoping for, it's no longer hope. You have it. But, he goes on to say, if we hope for what we do not see, then we wait for it with patience. The women lost hope. Some of us are losing hope. I get that. I wrestle with that. So how do you think God responds to people who are losing hope? Well, look at the text. Verse 5. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting. You see, God's not waiting with arms crossed, toe-tapping, head-shaking, for you and for me to get our act together. God is a God who wants to meet us as we visit Him, struggling with despair, to grant us game-changing hope. Look what happens in verse 6. The angel then speaks. He has risen. He is not here. Verse 7, you will see Him alive just as He told you. When we run to Jesus with dashed hopes, when we visit the empty tomb with sagging hope, our God is the kind of God who longs to meet us with game-changing hope. Notice that all the angel does is remind them of the Word of God. You may be thinking, but, but Bob, I don't have an angel visiting me, reminding me of God's Word. But you know what you do have that these women nor any of the disciples had yet? You and I have the completed Word of God. There, there's, there's nothing left to add to this book. All the promises, all the reminders, everything God's ever going to give us we already have in this word. In Romans 15, we're reminded that it is through the encouragement of the Scriptures we have hope. It is through the encouragement of the Scriptures that we gain game-changing hope. Now look, I understand that there are times when the promises of God just seem to ricochet off of our hearts. It doesn't seem to hit at the right angle. Or the illustration I've used before, that our hearts can be like Teflon, and the promises of God's hope just slips right off, like an egg out of a Teflon pan. Circumstances change. What we have really been putting our hopes in, the things that we see, begin to go poof. We hear God's promise that He's going to provide. And the boss says, we're having to make cuts. 
we're having to furlough. Poof. Through this period of social distancing and sheltering in place, family problems are skyrocketing. Filings for divorce have dramatically increased. Domestic abuse is way up. Suicides have increased. Why? Because the visible things that we all tend to be tempted to put our hope in are going poof. Just like the women. But if we run honestly and authentically to the empty tomb, if we run to Jesus, he will meet us with game-changing hope. John Ortberg is a Presbyterian pastor in California. And he speaks of an Easter about a decade ago in the midst of America's deep recession. And he uses words that are so applicable to us today as we face the coronavirus. Listen to the parallels. It's uncanny. He says, I cannot think of an Easter in recent memory where there was a bigger need for hope, for something that would breathe hope into the human spirit. Listen to this. A year ago, so many people felt like they were on pretty solid ground. Sound familiar? Now they find themselves in circumstances they never would have predicted. Sound familiar? Nobody ever wants seasons of hard times to come. But when they do, those times have a way of making us ask, what am I really counting on? What am I really hoping in? Am I building my life on a foundation that's solid enough that circumstances beyond my control cannot take it away? He goes on to say, that's why I've been looking forward to Easter. A time when we gather to remember the only hope, the game-changing hope of sustaining the human spirit. Listen to this. This is powerful. People have not gathered for the past 2,000 years to say the stock market has risen. It is risen indeed. They've not gathered for the past 2,000 years to say the dollar has risen. It is risen indeed. Or the unemployment rate has risen. It is risen indeed. No. Here's the one hope that has held up human beings across every continent and culture for two millennia of difficult times of poverty, disease, pain, hardship, and death itself. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that is game-changing hope. 
will you visit the empty tomb this morning and receive game-changing hope from a merciful God who longs to meet you in your despair? And then secondly, visit the empty tomb to experience game-changing courage. This whole passage is filled with fear. Now, remember at Oak Mountain what we say about fear, the acronym we use, F-E-A-R, false evidences appearing real. The women are initially concerned that there's going to be no one to move the stone. They fear they're not going to get to the body of Jesus. And yet in verse 4, we learn it's already been rolled back. Mark uses three words in this passage, strong words for human fear. In verse 5, he says they were alarmed. In the first part of verse 8, he says they were trembling. In the second part of verse 8, he says they were afraid. Let's look at those quickly, one by one. Verse 5, they were alarmed. That's an incredibly strong word. It means they were absolutely terrified. And so are many of us. When circumstances we couldn't have imagined or predicted three months ago crowd into our lives, we become alarmed. When sheltering in place has surfaced family tension, when we discover that some of us or our loved ones are coping with our fear, by turning to alcohol or drugs or pornography. We become alarmed again when the boss says we're making cuts. We saw that God will meet us in our despair and hopelessness. Will He meet us in our fear as well with game-changing courage? The good news is He doesn't meet us in our fear with a slap on the face, but with a hand on our shoulder. Look at verse 6. God sends the angel to calm their fears. He uses the same word as their fear in verse 5, alarmed. He says, do not keep being alarmed. But even A hand on the shoulder didn't calm their fears. Look at verse 8. Even after they heard the words of game-changing courage, they went out and fled. Second word. For trembling had seized them. They were gripped with fear. They lost heart. By the way, that's where courage comes from. The French word for heart. They lost heart. They lost courage. In verse 8, they said nothing to anyone. Third word, for they were afraid. They kept on being afraid. What do we do when we start obsessing over intrusive, negative, fearful thoughts? You know, this response is as old as the original sin itself. Adam, when God cried out, where are you? He said what? 
I was afraid. So I hid. When in fact, our God is the God who wants to meet us in our fear with game-changing courage. We don't need to run away from God in our fear. We need to run to Jesus, the risen Savior, to the empty tomb. By the way, Mark is a very good writer to end his gospel by causing us to reflect upon our our own hopelessness and fear. There's a, a very interesting detail in the gospel of Mark. In chapter 14, verses 51 and 52, Mark's gospel includes a young man who was at the garden when Jesus was arrested. And it says he fled... And somebody had grabbed a hold of him to try to arrest him as well. And he wrestled loose, his clothes fell off, and he ran away naked. Why would there be that detail in Mark 14? Because Mark is writing the gospel, and that young man was him. Mark wrestled with fear. The same way we wrestle with fear. And he went to Jesus, like the women, and received game-changing courage. Reuters news agency once carried a story not too long ago that 40-year-old David Page from Norfolk, England, held on to a cylindrical object for four hours, expecting either to die or slight chance of being rescued. He had just dug up what appeared to be an undetonated World War I bomb. He was afraid that letting go of it would cause it to explode. He called an emergency number on his mobile phone, got a police operator. He even spoke some last words to his family through this operator. And Page recounts that the operator kept on saying, it would be okay. Do not be afraid. It will be okay. And Page says, that's easy for you to say. You're not the one holding onto a bomb. First responders rushed to the workyard in eastern England. And then army bomb disposal experts arrived on the scene. The drama came to an abrupt end when the bomb was identified as part of the hydraulic suspension system of a French car called the Citroën. You know, studies have revealed that 91% of our fears will never be realized. That is why the number one most oft-repeated command of God in Scripture is do not be afraid. But even if our worst fears are realized, we have a God who wants to meet us with game-changing courage. And oh, by the way, the other Gospels record for us that God did meet these women 
they found their courage. They told the disciples and many others, He is risen. He is risen indeed. And then thirdly and finally, visit the empty tomb to experience game-changing grace. Look at verse 7. Tell his disciples and Peter. Peter was a disciple. That's repetitive. Why is Peter singled out? Well, we all know, don't we? Because on that good Friday, after being told by Jesus, you'll deny me three times. Peter said, I am ready even to die with you. And then as the cock crowed, Peter realized he had in fact denied he even knew Christ three times. And for at least two mornings, Saturday and Sunday, Peter was haunted by that failure as the rooster crowed out the dawn. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. What did he most need to hear? If I was Peter, I would have wanted to hear that Jesus hadn't turned away. He hadn't turned his back on me. That my failure was not fatal. That my failures don't bring a response of God's anger, but instead kindle God's grace, mercy, and kindness. Look at verse 7. He is going before you into Galilee, and there you'll see him just as he told you. Know what he's saying to Peter? Peter, your failure is not fatal. Your failure has not changed my plan. Things are still going according to purpose. I'm going to see you just as I said, and your failure didn't alter that. The empty tomb is a game changer for every one of us who's experienced failure. The Bible is filled with failures. Other than Jesus, that's all there is in Scripture. Abraham was so afraid that he failed to trust God and asked his own wife at the risk of her being abused to lie and to say that she wasn't his wife, but she was his sister. Jacob, the deceiver, was so faithless that rather than waiting for God to fulfill the promise that he would be the heir, deceived his father. What a failure. David, the adulterer, was so bored that he failed to obey the commands of God for sexual purity. And then added on top of that, the failure of murder. Paul the persecutor was so arrogant that he was convinced he was right and that Jesus was a blasphemer. And he failed to please the very God he wanted to most serve. And then there's me. Bob, the performer. Bob, the perfectionist. Who so longs to come through that I can become intense and dominant when the pressure is on. Maybe you've experienced failure during this crisis. 
Maybe you've said and thought things that you regret. Or maybe you're reminded every day like Peter of some spectacular failure of your past. Again, learn from someone who was a colossal failure. The one who was inspired by the Spirit to finish his gospel in a most astounding way. Mark was not only a scaredy cat, he was a missionary flop. In Acts chapter 13, he's with Barnabas and Paul on a missionary journey. And we don't know why, but at some point, smack dab in the middle of ministry work that was vital, Mark goes AWOL. He's a deserter. He's a missionary failure. But just like God met the women who initially failed, but experienced game-changing grace to trust in God's love and move out in faith, Mark experienced game-changing grace as well. And it was expressed first through Barnabas and then even later in life through Paul himself, who hadn't initially shown much grace to Mark. You see, the whole reason Christ came was for failures. We've all failed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength 24-7. We've all failed to love our neighbor as ourself 24-7. But even when we were conceived, we were guilty of Adam's failure to obey God. And we need game-changing grace. And so God sent Christ to live a life we could never live. And then on Good Friday, He paid a penalty we could never pay. And as we visit the empty tomb with our hopelessness, our fears, our failures, God meets us with game-changing grace. God is the God of the second chance the third chance, the fourth chance, the four millionth chance. You see, we often think that it is our strengths that are the raw materials of going to God. Mark's unique ending reveals that it's our strengths that are often the cause of our greatest failures. But as we go in our weakness and failure and sin to the empty tomb, we're met by a game-changing Savior. I'll close with a blog by Dr. Timothy Tennant. He's the president of Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. And he made an amazing connection between the coronavirus and Easter. Do you know why it's called the coronavirus? Because under a microscope, it looks like a thorny crown. The Latin word for crown is corona. It is the corona or crown virus. We all know that in the gospel accounts, 
as the soldiers mocked Jesus on Good Friday. Part of his suffering was having a crown of thorns placed on his head. The thorny corona is evidence of the suffering he underwent as he took on the wrath and anger of God that is due toward us because of our sin and failure. Our world today is obsessed with the crowny virus. As followers of Christ, might we become more obsessed with the Corona King, the one who wore the crown of thorns on our behalf and rose again to grant us game-changing grace. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, who is there even now in the midst of this crisis, said, Easter is more than a match for any darkness. Do not be afraid. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, if there's anybody watching right now that has not come to the place where they're acknowledging that their hopes have been put in things that do not provide a firm foundation. God, if they're afraid to approach you because they're filled with alarm or they're afraid to approach you because they know they've failed, God, might all of us see afresh this morning on this Easter Sunday that you are a God that meets us with game-changing hope, game-changing courage, and game-changing grace. May people today transfer their trust from their own goodness and efforts to the finished work of the risen Savior. And might in all of our lives, fresh faith in Jesus be a game changer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I said earlier that we were going to have a special offering at the end of our Easter service. It's called the He is Risen Mercy Gift. If you go to your app or go online and you click on the tab Give, you'll find that one of your options is He is Risen Mercy Gift. Again, it's a time of great mercy need in our community. We normally do this after communion services. Clearly, we don't have one today. But this is how we can help our community face these very unique circumstances. And now receive the benediction. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Abba, Father, and the fellowship and game-changing power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.